It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Electric Avenue. Uh, he was never able to replicate the success that he had with this song, but uh, a, a great artist nonetheless. You ever wonder what happens if all the electricity goes away? Those of you that lived through uh, Superstorm Sandy, uh, you remember what it was like to be without power for a day, two days, three days, four days. Some people, five days. You remember the blackout back in 2003, the summer of 2003, when in the middle of the blistering heat, all the power went down all over New York. And if you wanted air conditioning, at least in my case, you know, and you wanted to sleep for a few minutes, I had to go out to my car and enjoy a few minutes of air conditioning just to get a little bit of rest because it was so hot you couldn't. Sleep Now, air conditioning for a lot of people is a little bit of a luxury, but there are so many different aspects of your life that rely on power, electricity. What if it all just went away? Well, that brings us to our discussion about the electromagnetic pulse, EMP. If you listen to people that have been kind of sounding the alarm on this for some time, it's not a new thing. People have been talking about this for a while. They say that this could be disastrous and we're not really prepared for the implications of some sort of electromagnetic pulse. If you listen to others, they say this is the kind of thing that a giant James Bond villain would cook up and this is not a realistic concern for a lot of people. I want to try and get some answers on how realistic the worries are about EMP, either an EMP attack or a naturally occurring EMP. We'll get into the difference. Well, John Hollerman is kind enough to join us. He is the president of Grid Down Consulting. He's also deputy director of the U.S. Task Force on National and Homeland Security and a member of the board of advisors of EMP Act America, Impact America. John, thanks so much for uh, staying up late with us. Hey, Frank, thanks for having me on. All right, so let's start with the basics. Uh, most people have heard the term EMP or electromagnetic pulse. What is it? Well, so there's multiple ways uh, EMP would affect our country. Uh, the first, uh, as far as threats goes, the most serious is a nuclear EMP threat. And today, basically any enemy nation, uh, any nuclear nation for that matter, uh, first strike doctrine is uh, nuclear EMP. And the second would be a solar flare CME could produce the E3 uh, portion of an EMP. Uh, and then you have cyber attacks and uh, physical attacks against the grid. Uh, so we're talking about events that could take down the national 
electric grid or even a regional area of our country. So those would be the four ways that a uh, the, the four threats against our national electric grid. And so if there's an EMP attack or if there's some sort of EMP incident, what happens to the electric grid? Is it down and for how long? So in the case of a nuclear EMP or a solar flare, a CME, and just so you know, we're entering a solar maximum here uh, starting in January uh, through the end of this year. Uh, the, the sun uh, rolls in cycles. Uh, we've seen three large X-class solar f- flares that just missed the Earth here recently. But in essence, uh, yes, it does. If it's a large enough event, uh, it could absolutely take down the, the nationwide electric grid. And so it couples with long line transmission lines and uh, it, it travels. And the, the biggest vulnerability of this country is our high voltage transformers. Uh, they weigh about 400 tons each. There's about 3,000 of them in this country. And that's what steps up and steps down power coming out of a, a, a power facility and then travels long distances to your local town or to the factory. And those high-voltage transformers, uh, we replace about 12 of those a year. And in the past, they came from Germany and South Korea, which were allied countries of ours. And more recently, we're seeing a lot more of them come from China, but that's a whole other topic. Uh, but in essence, we, what the American people need to understand is the with today's uh, with today's uh, ability to, to supply parts and to, to build those, the first one would not arrive to our shore within before 24 months so it takes it takes about two years to build one of those high voltage transformers and if we lose the high voltage transformers in this country we're you're not getting the first one for 24 months you're talking about no electricity uh, at all now um i know you mentioned that sort of the the first aspect of uh, a nuclear attack i mean i think if you look at a lot of the entities that america has been in conflict with except until recently russia again but a lot of the entities that america has been in contact with uh, or in conflict with entities like isis al-qaeda uh now hamas they they strike you as groups that are somewhat disorganized but very interested in sowing discontent not necessarily a state actor uh, a group like al-qaeda or isis thank goodness is not getting a nuclear weapon anytime soon is there a scenario in which a non-state actor one of these terrorist groups might be able to carry out an emp attack Yes, uh, there's there's multiple multiple different scenarios. So first off, I would say it would not be impossible for them to get nuclear material at the fall of the Soviet Union here, uh, whatever that was, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. A lot of nuclear material went missing. Uh, so there is a lot of nuclear material, you know, kind of floating around there on the black market. I don't want to say it's easy for them, uh, but they could absolutely get it. And an EMP, uh, a nuclear EMP, could be launched off of a a, a high altitude balloon, uh, like we saw here recently coming from China. So that would be one way. Probably their easiest way to do this is. Uh, there's a report from the Congressional EMP Commission back in 2017. I can't remember the exact title how it's phrased, but it's uh, I think it's called non-nuclear uh, EMP attack vectors. Uh, but essentially, uh, you can build a directed energy EMP weapon uh, with, with parts that you can source off the Internet. Uh, the instructions for how to build wow. this are on the Internet. And so essentially what, what could happen is they could build one of these in like a, a box truck or a U-Haul truck, and they could drive it around and just take out individual 
high voltage transformer locations around this country over the course of 24 hours. They could build two of them, uh, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, a third one in Texas because we have three electric grids in this country. And within, within 24 hours, they could destroy enough transformers or take down the entire electric grid. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Uh, so let's talk about and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, John Hollerman. Uh, he is with uh, Grid Down Consulting, also uh, deputy director of the U.S. Task Force on uh, National and Homeland Security. Uh, you can check out his group at griddownconsulting.com. Let's talk about the vulnerabilities in the infrastructure. You mentioned some of those uh, transformers that uh, that have been put together by China. What critical infrastructure sectors are are most vulnerable to an EMP event and what steps have been taken to mitigate that those vulnerabilities at this point? All of the 16 critical infrastructures in this country are are reliant on electricity to function. In fact, every aspect of human life today revolves around electricity to function. Uh, if you take down the national electric grid, there's no phones, no internet, no TV, no radio, no banking. Uh, the, the big ones, no interstate trucking, no food, no gas pumps, nothing. Your heat, air conditioning in your, in your house doesn't work. So, uh, what, the, the, so people in New York City, like you mentioned at the, the onset of this, like remember Hurricane Sandy, and you could talk about the Texas situation here a few years back with the cold snap and mm. then losing electricity. But these were all localized regional events. And when you have localized regional events, the rest of the country rallies together and we send food and we send supplies and uh, everybody else's phones are working. Everybody else, interstate trucking still functional. So there, there's the ability to rally and come to the aid. If we're talking about a nationwide event, there's nobody coming. Uh, in fact, the, I've got some DOD reports on my website there that show that 99% of the the U.S. military uh, bases in this country are reliant on the civilian electric grid. Uh, they have they only have 48 hours of backup diesel. They've warned Congress in the case of a nationwide grid out event, uh, they would not be able to respond to societal flops um, like the Hollywood movies you see with the box trucks rolling down the the road and passing out MREs and things of this nature. That's never going to happen in real life. Uh, so one of the things you didn't mention is I was a member of the Electromagnetic Defense Task Force, mm. uh, which is a three-day uh, joint services. Uh, all your alphabet agencies were there, the military, uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, DOE, CIA, NSA, the, you know, it was a three-day wargaming event at the LeMay Wargaming Institute on the aftermath of an EMP. And the thing that I, I, I knew it to be true to a degree, but uh, sitting through that event um, and, and that working event just blew my mind that I, I assume that somewhere <clears throat> somebody had a plan of action uh, for this. But if, you're, if your listeners get nothing else, FEMA has zero plan of action to deal with a nationwide grid down event. Uh, Congress and, and, and the White House and the government has zero plan of action to deal with a nationwide grid down event. The United States military, the National Guard have zero 
plan of action to deal with a nationwide grid down event. Uh, it's just kind of considered beyond design basis. And some of the things that, you know, I was privy to at that, that wargaming event here, what was it, four or five years ago, uh, was kind of really eye-opening, you know, from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the things that would happen with the nuclear sites. And, yeah, it's just, it's kind of shocking. And, and that's the frustrating thing uh, as the deputy director of the, the EMP Task Force on National and Homeland Security here. Uh, we, and, and alongside our patriarch, Dr. Peter Pry, who is part of the uh, EMP Congressional. Sure, EMP he's been Commission. a guest. He had been a guest on the show, obviously, before he yes. passed away. Yeah, and so for, since 2004, I mean, we've been, petitioning Congress and and all but begging them to take this threat seriously. I mean, this is the future of warfare. The next war is going to be fought in the electromagnetic spectrum. It's not going to be fought with the, the fastest airplane or the biggest aircraft carrier. It's going to be fought with cyber attacks and EMP attacks, and that's how you're going to win that the, the ne- World War III, the next uh, large war. So we've been Man, we've been doing everything we can. We've had four bills over the years at, at the federal level, trying to get that through, and they've all been defeated in the uh, before they even make it out of committee. Unfortunately, the electric utility lobby, and we can talk more about the electric utilities and their influence, but they spent over a billion dollars in the last 10 years uh, lobbying. That's just at the federal level wow. uh, to prevent – uh, any regulation on the electric grid. Why? And, well, know, what's, the, what's, the reason, what's the reason for that? Sure. So uh, the electric utility, so they're the second largest lobbyists in D.C. They're bigger than big oil. The only lobbyists that have them beat are pharmaceuticals. And they are the only industry in this country at this point that has no federal oversight. They write their own critical infrastructure protection standards. Uh, it, it, they, they make up their own rules, and, and they, they follow their own rules. And the federal government has no authority for national security interests uh, to tell them to do anything. And that's crazy because I just mentioned all 16 critical infrastructures and every aspect of human life today revolves around the electric grid. Uh, so the fact that they have nobody looking over their shoulder wow. uh, within, within, with teeth, right, to, to force them to do anything, the only industry in America, I mean, you can't buy a can of food. I mean, when you buy a can of food, you just take for granted that the FDA's looked at that factory and it's safe to eat. When you get on a plane, you know the FAA's inspect the planes. When you buy a car, you can't buy a car without a seatbelt. So I mean, if I'm a free market capitalist guy, but if there's one industry in this country that we must have to survive, and it's a national security interest, I mentioned the military bases rely a uh, 99% on civilian electric. That's the one industry that we need to be, uh, at least security-wise, looking over their shoulder and making sure that they are doing what they need to do to keep the American people safe. Um, really interesting. I want to come back to preparedness in a second, but you alluded to solar flares a moment ago. What is the likelihood of a naturally occurring electromagnetic pulse? Not something that's a result of a a nuclear attack from North Korea or a hostile non-state actor. What could nature do on the EMP front? Sure. So if we go back to 1859 was the last time a large solar flare hit the earth. It's called the Carrington event. You can Google that, check that out. Um, But back then, uh, we didn't have the technology that we have today. Uh, But still, the the, um, telegraph machines uh, caught on fire. The northern lights were so bright in New York City that people were getting up in the middle of the night and starting to get ready for work. Uh, And we, we know that solar flares happen 
uh, depending on where you categorize them, about every 50 or 75 years, massive CMEs, uh, coronal mass ejections that make a direct hit on Earth. Uh, we know this from ice records and from, from tree ring records over in Japan. Uh, and we're way, way overdue uh, for a large solar flare hitting this Earth. NASA projects it's 12% per decade. Uh, and if you do the math, since 1859, we are, uh, we're, we're kind of running on borrowed time. So and, and the po- go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. Go finish your thought. I was just saying. So, I mean, so the point is, is a massive solar flare, unlike a nuclear EMP, which, which could take out the electricity for this entire country, a massive CME that hit the earth. And one just missed us here about six years ago uh, by one week that NASA said would have taken down the electric grids for the entire northern hemisphere. This takes down the electric grid, uh, you know, as the earth turns over the course of a day or two, it'll take down electric grids all around the northern hemisphere. So given the fact that on the naturally occurring EMP front, it seems not a question of if, but when, what are some practical steps that governments can take to prepare for an EMP event? You know, whether we're talking the national government or municipal government, state governments or businesses. If I have a, you know, a small to mid-sized business and I want to keep the power on somehow, what can I do? Or individuals. What are the what can all of us who are listening to this program now do to mitigate some of these vulnerabilities? Okay, so those are three separate questions Got and three it. long Got answers. It. Okay. So I'll try to tackle the first one first. As far as governments go, uh, what we're watching uh, probably four years ago because, uh, and again, I go back to the 2017 EMP Commission reports that were released. One of them is called Forward Views on Electromagnetic Pulse. Uh, all, every, every enemy nation of ours is taking this threat serious. We, we've, we've got it in their war doctrine. I mean, the report that's released is the unclassified version. But we know from foreign writings that this is the first strike doctrine for, for these countries. They're taking it serious as well. China has fast-tracked, uh, this was three or four or five years ago, a, a grid-hardening situation because they're preparing for the next war. Russia has also taken these, these measures. Russia, they've never created a smart grid in their country, uh, their their grid still old tech, I guess we call it knob tube, you know, vacuum tubes right. and, and things of that nature. Uh, and then you have countries like North Korea. I mean, they barely have electricity to begin with. <laughs> but uh, then you have Iran, and uh, you know, a country like Iran, they consider an EMP attack Sharia compliant uh, because they don't. It doesn't actually kill a single person. A, a nuclear EMP is detonated at 300 kilometers above the ground. Uh, you, you don't. It doesn't affect. It doesn't physically affect anybody. All it does is wipe out all the, the electronics with small with small silicon microchips, which we know is basically everything today, right? So that's the problem from a government point of view. So I kind of poo pooed the federal government that they haven't done anything, but this is a a mind blowing operation to try and protect from this because. Everything has microchips in it. Say everything is vulnerable to to a nuclear EMP attack. But what we at the uh, uh, the EMP task force and Secure the Grid Coalition and some of the other organizations uh, that we work alongside, what we're advocating for is at least take the threat seriously and harden the critical components, the power f- generation facilities, the high voltage transformers. These are things you just can't run down to Walmart and buy parts for to replace. That, like I mentioned with the high voltage transformers, they take two years to replace. Uh, these critical components of the grid 
need to be hardened. They must be hardened uh, in order that you do have the ability to come back from this. Because if you don't do that, what we're looking at here, Frank, is a continental time machine. No electricity in this country. The Congressional EMP Commission told wow. Congress in 2004 that 90% of Americans would die within the first year of starvation, disease, societal unrest. Uh, and so this is a catastrophic problem. You can't protect every, you know, individual node from this risk, but we can protect enough that we can rebuild from it. And, you know, we may go, most areas would probably go a significant amount of time without power. But if you could just get power on to a couple cities, um, like we've advocated, like, our, our large dams, which are were built a long time ago, they still have the you know the old levers and the the wheels to operate them. They've hooked up computers to them, but we've advocated, hey, that's fine, but have the ability to still operate that dam and still operate some of these facilities with with the old tech, if that makes sense. And uh, um, if you get power on in a couple places in the country, you you might be able to. Uh, provide a way of life for the people living there in in the sense of like rebuilding and repairing the rest of the grid. So if someone has a home generator or if I have a, a business that has a, you know, a small private generator, or if there are things like solar panels, would those be affected? And what about vehicles? I mentioned uh, sneaking out to the car during the blackout of 2003 to get a little air conditioning. Would vehicles still work? Okay. So, yeah, anything anything grid tied is going to be affected. So generators, solar panels, uh, things of that nature, they're absolutely uh, going to be hit. Uh, if you're talking – and so let's say, I mean, there, there are protection devices for uh, – there are ways to – build a Faraday cage, a still Faraday cage for a generator, things of that nature. But let me just put it this way. I mean, if you're in suburban Atlanta and, and the national grid comes down and you're the only one cranking a generator, you're the only one in town with lights on, you're going to bring, you know, hungry people like moths to the flame. So that's not a, that's not an, an easy solution for a suburban person. But as far as vehicles go, and we can talk more about that here in a minute, but as far as vehicles go, uh, a, a solar flare or, or a uh, CME, uh, th- that, that only produces the E3 portion of the pulse. I didn't get in too depth because we don't have a ton of time uh, to explain uh, that you have three pulses from EMP. You get E1, E2, and E3. Uh, with nuclear, you get all three of those. Uh, the E1 is the one that attacks microchips directly. Uh, the E3 comes along, and that's like within a nanosecond coast to coast. Uh, the second one takes place over the course of like two to five seconds, and that attaches long line transmission lines, and it slowly builds till it melts down uh, different facilities and the high voltage transformers. So as far as a car goes, a, a car has a lot of modern cars have a lot of microchips and computers in them, so they would be affected by a nuclear EMP, uh, but a solar flare only produces the E3. So essentially with solar flare, you're more concerned about things that are plugged into the grid at the time, whereas with nuclear EMP, it's going to hit most electronics in the country. So there is debate on what percentage of cars will function. Uh, When the Congressional EMP Commission tested vehicles, this was in 2002 for their 2004 report to Congress, uh, I, I think they found that 30-something percent of vehicles were affected 
Okay, in a sense of like they were shut down uh, and and they stopped functioning. But most of them, I think, only ten percent were not able to to be restarted. And it's been a year, a few years since I've read that study, so I'm just paraphrasing percentages here. Okay, uh, but that was all, the newest vehicle tested was a 2002 vehicle, and a lot of the models they tested were in the 1990s. If you know anything about cars today, there's a heck of a lot more microchips and computers that that affect the drivability of a vehicle in 2023 compared to 2002. So there's there's they've also added a lot more EF. Uh, protection to vehicles because of that. Mm. However, we we just don't know. We're just not going to know. But even if you only lost 20% of the cars on the road that were destroyed, right. any major city, you're talking gridlock oh. traffic. No, There's no traffic lights, and then 20% of the cars stop where they're at on the road it's going to completely oh, shut no. down. Chaos, no doubt about it. John, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the time. I hope we can talk again. Absolutely. Anytime, Frank. Thank you. John Hollerman. He's uh, president of Grid Down Consulting. You can check them out, uh, griddownconsulting.com. Also, the uh, deputy director of the U.S. Task Force on National and Homeland Security. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're certainly welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead.